Um, I think Rob has actually done a fabulous uh, job of presenting my case already. I was going to talk to you about healthcare and um, international development and why it's a good investment. Um, but you've done a fabulous job of listing some of the reasons that, um, or some of the areas we should focus on. So the one um, that affects people who are the poorest and neediest, uh, the things that affects large numbers of people. Um, we all need healthcare, and um, and something that we're well placed to do. There's an extraordinary number of um, interventions that are used in wealthier countries that can be very easily translated into into um, less developed and, and lower cost settings. So I think I think Robert's done a great job. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't that good? <laughs> done it a second time. <laughs> Um, but if you talk to social welfare experts, uh, you know they will say that that healthcare and the cost of, of healthcare, particularly catastrophic um, healthcare costs, is, is the single most important reason why people in developing countries fall into poverty. So addressing the the cost of healthcare is is absolutely fundamental to to addressing poverty. Um, if you talk to microfinance organisations, they too will say that the single most important reason why people are unable to pay their loans. Um, what, and why businesses fail, these micro-enterprises fail, is because um, people become unwell and they just cannot deal with the costs of healthcare. So the whole area of healthcare is just fundamental to people's lives, its livelihoods and, um, and economic growth in a whole range of countries and it's why the World Health Organisation and the World Bank together and all the countries that are signatories um, you know, endorsed a plan to have universal health cover. Uh, which would provide affordable healthcare for everyone. So I think the fact that there's a need for healthcare is, is pretty clear. Um, in, in 2013, The Lancet published a landmark report that looked at improvements in health, in healthcare and how they had impacted the global economy. And they, uh, estimated that, um, that improvements in healthcare had, um, actually accounted over, over the 10 years to 2011 actually accounted for fully one quarter of the growth in full income in, the, in developing countries. So an incredible impact um, on the economies of these countries. And bear in mind, in most of these places, um, healthcare is probably only 5 or 6% of the economy. So to have that contribution, to, to, to contribute one quarter of the growth, the economic growth in these um, in full income in these countries, it's a really staggering impact. And they also estimated that the returns on investment in healthcare um, over the next 20 years, so proper investments in healthcare in developing countries over the next 20 years, um, could produce a 9 to 20-fold return on that investment. So 9 to 20-fold investment on uh, return on investment from healthcare. So I think that's a pretty good, pretty good uh, measure. I'm not sure how it stacks up against some of your other, <laughs> other charts. Um, and, you know, not every one of those investments is going to be perfect. Um, I, I'm not sure that I would go as far as to say that 75% of investments are not, are not perfect, but certainly, certainly I think when we see a lot of evaluations, that means people are doing research and investigation. They're trying new things. And I think trying new things is quite good. Um, so we just need to be a little bit careful about how we interpret these stats. Like 75% of interventions may not be right. Yeah, health, health tends to do better. It's the, the social stuff is trickier, but yeah. <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> I should have just asked Rob to do my presentation. <laughs> um, excellent. Health tends to be better. We like that. 
But I just wanted to put on the table, and, and perhaps this is not what I'm supposed to be talking about, but that's all right, um, that just that there is a lot that needs to be done for the measurement to really catch up um, with the ambitious goals of effective altruism. Um, so, I mean, one of the enormous benefits of effective altruism is that it has been forcing um, people who are playing in the in the health space, in in the international development space, um, NGOs, and so on, to really lift their game in terms of how they measure their performance and their impact. And I think that's a fantastic thing. But there's still quite a long way to go. And I think when people are using the information um, that comes from some of these um, evaluations and measures and so on, I think just I would encourage a little bit of caution. For a start, I'm not quite sure the measures are perfect yet. And I'll give you a couple of examples of the, of the way that um, measures in healthcare have evolved over time. So it used to be that we all just looked at the number of lives saved. Seems like a fairly obvious thing to do. Um, and what we found as a result of doing that was that um, actually a lot of money was going to old people because it's a larger number of people, so you can probably save them. And not so much money was going to younger people and a younger people's um, diseases and challenges. So then this concept of the number of life years saved came, came about. So uh, a younger person um, was worth more. If you saved the life of a younger person, it was worth more because you saved more life years. So this whole concept of a life year saved came about. So that seemed to make sense. But then we realised we were only talking about mortality and deaths. You know, we could actually improve people's quality of life, but that was just sort of wasn't counted. You know, if you make people happier or healthier for, for a time, but only just, that wasn't really counted. It's only if you saved that life. So um, this concept of DALIs came about, disability-adjusted life years. More recently, we've, we've moved on from that. We started pulling a dollar value on these things. We talk about the economic impact and the economic value that we've created. Um, and, and, I, and I think even in relation to that, we've come to the conclusion, maybe that's not the right measure. You talked about measuring good. And I'm not really sure we know what measuring good quite is. Um, is it environmental diversity? Is it happiness? Is it well-being? I don't think we're quite there with understanding. And if you listen to that evolution in, in, in how the measures of health um, and what we consider a good health outcome have, have changed, you can see how that's even in one one sector, how much it's changed, so how difficult it is to start comparing across sectors. Um, I guess another thing I'd add into this is that the measurement is probably imperfect. Um, to give you an example, uh, the Fred Hollows Foundation is um, one of the things we've done for a very long time is train doctors, and those train, we train those doctors to go on and provide surgeries. Um, a doctor might provide surgeries for 30 years, they might deliver 700 surgeries a year, cataract surgeries. Cataract is the, the leading cause of blindness. Um, so we, as an organisation, have often focused on that because it is, um, it is something that can be addressed through a cost-effective intervention. They'll go on and deliver 21,000 surgeries in their career. So we, we train that doctor. Do we, do we count those 21,000 surgeries as, as an NGO? Is that, is that our impact? Or is it maybe just the surgeries they delivered for a couple of years? Because you know someone else has got to pay for those. We're not, you know, we might not be paying for them forever. They might go and do something. So I think there's a lot of question marks about, you know, about how we actually count for that. In practice, we we more or less um, look at the the impact of of what we we do, how long we support that surgeon, and, and we might count it for another two years. It's probably a conservative thing to do, um, but it seems appropriate um, in the context. 
Is it, is it appropriate to count 30 years' worth of surgeries for that person? I'm not really sure. So I think there's a lot of... And if you go in and start comparing the way that different organisations are measuring their own impact, you might start to see a little bit of detail in there that is perhaps unexpected and perhaps not as comparable as you might think. Um, there's another challenge, of course, is that measurement is incomplete. So... Um, again, going back to um, the work of the Fred Hollows Foundation, we invested 25 years ago in establishing some IOL factories in a couple of countries, so Eritrea and Nepal. So IOLs are the lenses that you insert um, in, in a person's eye when you do cataract surgery. You take out the, the bad lens, I suppose, and put in a, a, a lens called a, um, an intraocular lens, so an IOL. Um, so we established a couple of factories to manufacture those lenses. And, of course, that has been a huge economic boost for Eritrea and for Nepal. You know, so um, in Nepal, it's probably the most you know, sophistic sophisticated manufacturing operation there. Um, in Eritrea, it's been the most important so source of foreign currency um, for that country for, for some time. So, um, but we're an eye health organisation. Yeah, so we don't really run around and think about, well, what's been the labour force impact of, on, you know, these factories? They've had these extra ongoing, ongoing benefits for the economy in, um, in those two countries, providing jobs, you know, export dollars and so on. We don't count those. We focus on eye health. What's the impact on blindness? So there's many ongoing effects of, of, of the things that NGOs do that probably don't get counted by them because it's not necessarily in their strategy. So there can be a lot of other benefits that we may not see. Um, just two more, two more comments. <laughs> um, I think one observation is that the cost of sort of collecting a lot of data can be quite a challenge. Um, there was one estimate that I saw recently around the sustainable development goals. So these have replaced the Millennium Development Goals. This, there's um, Millennium Development Goals, there are 18 of them, seem to manageable. Sustainable Development Goals, I think the latest number was 169 targets. Um, quite, a, <laughs> quite a courageous um, plan. Um, I saw one estimate recently that suggested to collect all the data just to monitor progress against those goals. Just monitoring progress against those goals was going to cost $254 billion to collect that data. Now, that is twice the global annual budget um, on international development. So you have to ask yourself, how much data should we be collecting and how much can we collect? So I think it's it's... Really, a case of going. What's appropriate, and and should we be so ambitious? I was thinking about the comment about the impact study, um, and and obviously the research that your um, team does around impact studies. Of course, um, and even sometimes there's real practical challenges. We've been trying to do an impact study in, in Pakistan for for about the last six months, and we can't actually get our um, consultants into Pakistan right now. So sometimes there's practical challenges that just come in the way. Um, and just the final thought um, was was around innovation, and I and I think trying to find the balance between um, supporting interventions that are proven and effective and have all the data, um, and balance that with the need to support innovation where perhaps there isn't the good data. It's new ideas. You're trying new things. Some might work. Some might not. Um, and. And the importance of innovation um, in, in healthcare, as in any other sector, is, um, is critical. So I think it's having a recognition that sometimes it's okay to make mistakes, as long as um, we can invest in the long-term outcomes. Anyway, I went completely off topic. 
but that was fun. Um, <laughs> thank you.